Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash closeknit. That's www.patreon.com slash closeknit. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here with Sarah Ensigak of La Reunion Studio. Sarah is a textile artist who is making work inspired by her African heritage, and she's dedicated to using only recycled material. Again, thank you so much for being here with me, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting, and I think you're doing amazing work. So it's just like a nice community to have on this little corner of the internet. I am like consistently inspired by this corner of the internet that we have that we kind of occupy like yeah somehow it feels like both this place of change and progress and hope and accountability and softness and radicalness like there's just so much room for all of it like I just really love the way that textiles seem to have the ability to hold all of it and hold people who contain the space to hold all of it. And it's just like, I feel like more and more we're all finding each other and that just feels so exciting. I know it's the timing of it. It feels like I couldn't have planned a better time because I honestly have been interested in doing this kind of work for years, but never really put it out into like the world in this way. So I think I needed this kind of which I'm sure we'll get into further, but like for the climate that we're in right now, just like this kind of healing moment to work with things that feel tactile, but then connect with people that literally can't feel it because they're just seeing it online. But um, it's like more of an emotional connection that they have with the things that are being made. And I could do the same with their work. And yeah, it's really special. And I think it's really rare. So yeah, yeah, I'm so thankful for it. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like so glad you're here. I want to start off just by asking kind of what your earliest memory of textiles is. Yeah. um, I think my earliest memory is my, I want to say it was my grandmother, but I don't remember who it was, like giving me Ankara, which is like a Nigerian traditional cotton. It's usually block printed, um, like textile. Mm. And I 
just it was like kind of a gift but I was supposed to choose a style for it to be made into a traditional outfit because that's like what we would do growing up I just had to choose which is really exciting um you get to choose like from any magazine or whatever you're interested in um, and you can take this traditional Ankara and have it made for like whatever event we were going to so it's kind of a more modern way of wearing Ankara I guess but I think that's still done in Africa too it's just people just make whatever they like out of this traditional material and I think I just didn't realize that that wasn't something that people do like it like getting bespoke like outfits made um every month or so but it was really special to like be gifted these textiles and like wonder what I was going to end up wearing out of it and having a freedom to choose but yeah I think that's like my earliest that's probably my earliest memory that's so cool that is so so cool it actually reminds me of Gianna who was on the podcast earlier this year grew up in Brazil Uh and she had a similar kind of yeah grandmother was involved it was like she got to kind of pick out the colors and the fabrics and then there was like a silhouette that they made for an event and it's just such a different I think as far as I know like in the west in the U.S. in like like or like white western culture i i don't i can't think of a space where that's like a that's a norm and that just seems like such a beautiful expression of like familial heritage and creativity and like agency for a child like it's really interesting yeah it really is i didn't really think about the idea of independence or like creative freedom that is being given to you. Like, I didn't even think about how much I probably gained from that. But I think at the time I saw it as like, this is really cool. And I love clothing. And like, I'm just going to choose whatever dress I think is pretty that I can't afford and like have it made in Ankara. And it was never like, actually like the picture. Um, But it was just fun (laughs) to like, have that experience. And I think um, that's probably why I now like love making clothing. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's not anything like that in Western culture. No, that's, it's so, yeah, that is so beautiful. Like, so I'm so curious about, did you, like, you just had, like, magazines, like, fashion magazines that you were pouring in? Yeah, like, there's this one, um, we used to get them in the mail. I don't know how old you are. I'm not that old. I'm 28, but. Oh, yeah, um, same age. We're the same age. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I used to get, like, Dila's or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, actually. Yeah, like, that one, I got, like, limited Two, I believe. I got oh, all yeah. kinds of magazines, and it was always just like mm. residents addressed to residents, and we uh-huh. would just go through them all. And I enjoyed them, and I think I just chose like dresses that I thought were really cool, and at the time, just so expensive to me. Right. And I would never ask my mom for them, but I would love to have like that silhouette in my life. So that's mm. kind of what I used to do. And I, I think I also, because that was before the internet was really popping off. Or maybe mm-hmm. it was before the internet was even really a thing. But um, I think I also used to just, like, look at TV and, like, film and stuff like that, which I still reference a lot. But, yeah, yeah that's kind of how I was finding styles. <laughs> yeah. And then was your grandmother the one making them? Or did you got, did you have, like, a tailor that was making them? She, I think she, at that point, wasn't able to make garments because she got really mm. sick when I was younger. But... Mm. Yeah, so there was this person in our community, we call everybody Auntie, Auntie something, I can't even remember her name, but she is in Oklahoma, well, I'm from Oklahoma, 
So she still lives there and she makes like all the traditional Nigerian outfits there. And I think that's like her, that's her um, livelihood. And Mm. I honestly, I don't know if there's anyone else that I would trust to do it. She's just really good. And yeah, Yeah. she's really dependable. So I would go to her and my sister, even my sister, like this last year used her for all the wedding outfits that she had. And um, yeah, we just have like a long running family tradition of going to her but there are several seamstresses that specialize just in that like making traditional or making non-traditional outfits out of traditional textiles yeah it's just like kind of a thing that we all wear to events so yeah, yeah it's cool it's so um, so but my cool. grandmother my grandmother did teach me how to sew so oh um, cool yeah that's like a connection that I shared with her before she passed away but she's probably the person that gave me that in Kara because she was coming from Africa and she came and lived with us for I want to say like six or seven years before she went back and she passed away there but yeah so special like yeah that was the part that I was interested in was how you were getting the Ankara whether it was something that people were like importing or how that whole thing worked was it mostly like trips that your grandmother took to bring that back to you it's funny because like my mom has I just remember growing up and my mom receiving actually like suitcases in the mail. Like oh. she would receive, and it's like been taped up and like yeah. it has, it's yeah. like full of fabric. I'm sure you've seen this Amazing. before, but like, yeah, it's, it's insane. They just ship it to us and it's super cheap for them, I guess. So, and there's not, apparently there's no import taxes to Africa um, or import duties. Maybe I'm okay. mixing something up, but so she could send them things. We could send, we could receive things from them without there being like massive fees. Um, maybe it's changed now, but we used to get massive boxes and suitcases of fabric all the time. Amazing. And yeah. I need to go back and go through all of that because I actually forgot that there's tons of untouched fabric that she just has sitting there, but yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to think about just like receiving this giant suitcase that's all taped up in the mail and having her kind of like, oh, I could, I can imagine your yeah. memories of that are really like visceral. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty weirded out by it. It's like, why are you, what is this? But now I think it's like they were just using what they had and, and they've always cared about reusing things. So yeah. like sustainability. So I think it was probably like falling apart and they were like, this is mm-hmm. a good box. We'll just use it. Yeah. That's so, so special. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So then when did your grandmother teach you to sew? When was that? Oh, I think I was probably like eight or nine. And she gave me, the way she taught me was like initially with paper and, and needle and thread. Oh, I don't totally. Know if yeah. Ever like construction yeah. paper, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I just like did little patterns with my hands. And I was so scared of the machine. But eventually I think I just was watching her and began to do it myself but yeah she definitely taught me how to thread it and do all of that stuff but there's a lot of stuff that's also self-taught just because she was very orthodox and like then there weren't as many things that you really traditionally did with garments you just like I mean there's like the zigzag stitch that she used to do on elastic and like there's things I distinctly remember her using but um I don't know. Machines were actually, I like that they were more stripped down than they are now. Um, but there weren't that many like special fancy things that you did then. It was just like basic sewing seams, making flounces, but nothing really too crazy in Nigerian stuff at least. 
so she used um, methods that felt to me really simple, but I think that that's probably better than a lot of the fancier things that we're seeing now that don't last as long. So I don't really, I mean, I think I still incorporate pretty much everything that she was doing. Like, But yeah, she taught me a lot and I built on that when I moved to New York and like started working in fashion. But yeah, it's just been a journey for me and I'm still learning so much about sewing. So Okay, so there's a journey there, right? Yeah. So you're like a child, you're learning to sew. Yeah. What, walk me through the steps between there and New York and um, all of that. That's a really good question because it's, it's not very mm-hmm. linear or anything. Um, I feel like it's all over the place, but I will say to preface it, if you're Nigerian, if you're first-generation American, you're not telling your parents that you want to be like a fashion designer or anything okay. like an artist. They're like, I mean, you're supposed to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, or something that makes six figures because gotcha. they slept. They like worked really hard to get to this country. So they don't want to hear that you like care about clothes. Like, they're <laughs> like That's cute, but you need to be saving lives or like figuring out the next invention, whatever. So I actually, I wasn't studying any of those things, but my mom thought I would become pre-med and psychology, which I did consider. Um, But I studied art therapy and I got my master's because again, if you're Nigerian, a bachelor's is basically like having a high school diploma. They don't care. Um, So I got my master's and I was going to go on to become a licensed art therapist, but then I saw that you need, there's several years of supervision in the state that I was living in, Oklahoma. Several years of supervision and then several more art credits that I that I had at the time, which is really expensive. Mm. And I just decided that I wanted to pursue like a more creative endeavor and then revisit um, art therapy when I'm older because I also felt too young to be giving anyone therapy. <laughs> and I think a lot of people should think about that when they go into that field because it is very intense and it's emotional trauma for both parties and I think you have to be like kind of in a specific space um to go into that so I was just trying to be respectful of the people needing therapy in that decision but um I still plan on revisiting that eventually in life but um yeah so I was like post-grad school I worked in a counseling agency for I want to say two years before I moved to New York for three, three years. And then I moved to New York to, I kind of randomly got this internship with a designer. Mm. And at the time, I was actually working on my own project, which was all upcycled vintage stuff mm. and making clothing out of remnants, which if I saw that stuff now, I would probably be so embarrassed. But it was kind of a new concept in the city I was living in, and yeah. it's Oklahoma City, and people were really into it and they were excited about it. So I felt like I was really encouraged by that that small community of people that got it. And like, there's so many other people that didn't understand mm-hmm. it. And that was interesting to navigate as well. And like, I'm also a woman of color in that city. And like, the reception, like people being receptive to my work was, I was just always afraid that they would be like, uh, you're just not who we want to see putting things out into the mm-hmm. world. Or like, it doesn't speak to us because of who you are. And that's something that I did experience as well. Mm. So moving to New York was a really important thing for me to just process the fact that I could be in a city where people 
do look like me and can celebrate what I'm doing, but also there are people that don't look like me and want to see that there are people that don't look like yeah. them. Like it's not this um, monolithic way of thinking or homogenous group of people that just have to have a token black person in the room. So um, for my growth and like my trajectory as a creative person, I needed to be in a city that wasn't like that. And I spent a summer in Paris when I was in grad school. And I think that was my first look into like not feeling like I'm just a minority in the room. Mm. Like I was like, Oh, this must be what it feels like to be a white person. Cause I felt comfortable mm. And like accepted, and people would ask me at what part of Europe I was from. They weren't like what part of Africa. Right. I don't right. know. It was just I felt more like just a person there, yeah. which I've never experienced until then. So yeah. anyway, um, yeah. So I moved to New York, worked for a few designers, all sustainable fashion. Mm. Um, and my first experience was really horrible. Oh, it was no. really bad. I won't even say the name of the brand. <laughs> Um, but they're saying, they say they're sustainable, oh, but... I'm, like, clutching you know. my heart, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Same. <laughs> it's all greenwashing, and I think yeah. that's... I needed that eye-opening moment. Yeah. Um, and the whole industry has a bit of that. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it took me... I've been here for four-ish years, mm. and um, it took me seeing all of that, and I worked for a really great sustainable company the last year I was in fashion mm. called... Mara Hoffman um they're actually like they have a lot of integrity and they're really awesome so that was a great experience for me and I've actually used a lot of their remnants in these pieces that I've been making yeah (laughs) yeah so that's been really um helpful for me to know that it does exist and can be done well but yeah I think there's still just an exorbitant amount of waste like no matter what In, in fashion you can't avoid that so I wanted to do something really radical and different but still aligned with like my I love making art and I wanted to do something that would be like fashion art, but also no waste involved and yeah. using the waste of other people and just like kind of keeping the circle going. Cause I think there is this like idea that if you're sourcing remnants or using dead stock or something like that, that you're being sustainable, which is true in a way, but mm-hmm. so many things don't get used. So many things are like, they order it and it's not the right color when it arrives. Like there was a massive roll of fabric at one of the places I worked and they told me I could have it because it just like wasn't the right color. And I didn't want it. But then I thought about how, like, where was it going to go? Like, right. I don't know. I just, there's a lot of things like that that happen and people just find a way to discard it. And I think that's kind of sad and careless. So I was like, thinking about how much is already in the world when I started this project and how little Afri- of Africa that I see on my feed and mm. like even from black owned people, I don't really hear Africa talked about or like the stories of tribes that I know about talked about. And I'm really proud of Africa and like being from there. So I really wanted to just like add that voice or add that narrative to the whole like sustainable fashion maker sphere. Cause it feels pretty white right now and <laughs> like you can say that again yep <laughs> yeah and yeah. obviously there's change it's changing and it's right. growing so I'm really excited to be a part of the changes but yeah these stories are really important and <laughs> just like a slight sidebar yeah. um with this kind of project I had before I had the current one mm-hmm. I had this Instagram account that had maybe like 
2,000 followers. And it was, to me, that was, I mean, I still feel like that's a good amount of people. Yeah. And I used that to start my new one. So I just changed the name yeah. and I started posting African stuff and saying, this is about Africa. And every time I would post, I would lose like 40 followers or 50 followers. But... It's just like, <laughs> like, obviously like that doesn't matter, but it was making me think like, this isn't something that people care about or want to see. So mm. it was a really hard reality for me to know that like the people that followed this initially just wanted to see like, it was all very neutral and, um, palatable for any like it wasn't like anything right kind of like it just was easy and that's right I feel like no one wanted to be challenged or grow and they just wanted to see like pastel colored or right. whatever tonal colored garments and um yes like, well that's fine but that's not what I'm here to do anymore so yeah um anyway I'm happy to see like more people interested in yeah it's no, changed. totally. Yeah. Okay. There's so much that I want to like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to like jump around because there's so much that I want to talk through. And I want to definitely come back to like, especially kind of the inspiration and the thought process around Law, Re- Law Reunion and yeah. everything you're thinking about there. But before we do that, I'm so curious how, I mean, art therapy, all of this stuff, like it's just so... These are some of the same thoughts that I have had around, like, how do you kind of, like, how do you go into a field that's actually a field, but that also uses creativity as, like, a a method for healing and for connecting with people? And so a lot of what you're saying, like, really resonates for me in terms of, like, things that I've thought through of, like, "Mm, career paths one day. But but I'm really curious. I'm, like, so curious to hear how you went from – like have like starting a career in art therapy to like working in in fashion houses it sounds like you had that kind of first first designer contact and then you kind of took it from there but how did you make that contact Mm -hmm. how did that happen what was that like (laughs) honestly it was um this is like a very weird story but I my sister was getting married Mm. and she knew that like when I was 10 or like really young probably a little older than that but really young I would watch say yes to the dress and like Stuff like that on TLC. And I love, I did not love wedding dresses really, but it was more like I loved seeing them get like fitted and like how they would change them. And Mm. like there were just some, it was, there wasn't a lot of fashion stuff on TV. Mm -hmm. Like I loved what not to wear and say yes to the dress because they were like fashion y shows and like not even so much for that aspect, but just like the tactile nature of like, I don't know, people getting a dress made out of silk or. I just thought it was really interesting. So um, my sister knew this about me, and I guess she still sees me as this child in her mind. So she was like, you have to come to New York with me. I'm going to Kleinfeld, which I was like, I don't care about that anymore. (laughs) Um, I didn't say that, but I was thinking, like, you think I'm still, like, 10 years old, but it's fine. Um, Yeah, I'll come with you to look at wedding dresses, whatever. Um, And honestly, it was a very weird moment I had where I was like, I'm just going to see if anyone needs an intern right now like these designers Mm. that I have been pretty closely following and care about their brands because they're doing sustainable things um and I looked up this specific one and they had this link that said like we're looking for interns and I didn't know that that's just something they always have up but Mm. um they said that and uh they're based in New York and so I was just like I'm just gonna email them and say I'd like to or actually I I think I sent my resume which was only literally only my own work like my sewing from my store that I had and yeah so they contacted me like a week later or something they just called me and I was like 
this is insane because <laughs> I think I had moments where I tried to apply for jobs in New York because I was like, I want to move to New York. And like, I never heard anything back. Right. I just never. Um, so I talked with um, one of the women that, or what I guess the only other woman that ran the brand, uh, like besides the creative director. And it was a weird conversation, but she was just kind of like, when can you get here? And I was like, oh, um, well, I'm going to New York already. I already have a ticket, so I guess I'll be there on January 11th. And um, I basically made my ticket one way. Whoa. Just, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. So I just basically packed a big suitcase or two suitcases. And my partner, who I'm still with, he's incredible. He helped me so much during this time. Oh. Him and my brother, they like packed up my apartment and I did some shady things, like I tried to sublet it, <laughs> but they ended up catching me, and I think they were fine, because the girl that came moved in was really great, and they were like, okay, well, as long as there's someone paying rent. Right. Um, so it just, like, worked, weirdly worked out, but I, I moved then, like, literally within two weeks of knowing that I got the internship, I was, like, living in New York. Wow. after two weeks later. Yeah. So that so, was what um, brought, that was the move? Like, that was... Yeah, that was wow. the move. Like, I went to Kleinfeld for maybe, like, 45 minutes because I had to go to open the store for the one of the designers I was working for. That is and she so was, wild. She was not understanding of my oh. sister being in town. She was not understanding of my sister looking for a wedding dress. Oh, like, no. luckily, I got to see her choose um, the dress that she wore on her wedding day. But, yeah, I, I like, booked a, I had to get a car because it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten there in time. And I ended up being late. Like it, it was so stressful for me because I was new to the city. I didn't yeah. know where I was. Like yeah. there's so much um, chaos in that moment. But I just remember being like, what am I doing? Like, I cannot believe I'm here. And this is insane. Um, and yeah, it, I ended up hating it. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah. But I do have them to thank for like the push to move here. And um, yeah, since then I have worked for... I want to say like five different designers. So I oh. like just kept getting internships and like do I do an internship and work at a store part time. Mm. And um, one example that was really good for me was I was working at this store called Ouroboro. Mm -hmm. So how do you know that store? I think so, actually. It's awesome. Really great people. Really wonderful experience. Oh, um, and then I was working for Karen Callahan at the same time. Oh. And she is in that store. So it was just kind of like. I don't know. It was just perfect because I got yeah. to obviously interact with the product while, sh while like working there. And I'd say, I, well, I actually know more about this than most people would know because I helped them make it. And um, I met her in the store and that's kind of how we first had our like first touch. Like I had just finished an internship with someone else who's based in Brooklyn mm. who isn't really making clothes anymore. But um, I just finished that one, and then Karen was like, well, I do need help. She always needs help because she's just, like, kind of a one-woman show in a way. Mm. Um, and she's, like, the hardest-working person ever. Like, she works more than anyone I know. And she actually was a big part of why I could start this project. She sent me a massive box of fabric. And, oh, like, wow. Yeah. Like, a lot of the garments you've seen, they're probably at least 40% Karen Kelly. Oh, that's so, so. cool. Gosh, this yeah. is so cool. I love the way that you're, like, weaving this all together. This is so fucking yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, I'm really bad at recounting stories. So let no, me know if it's ever, like, this is wonderful. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. 
Um, so yeah, the Ouroboro Karen Callahan time kind of came to a close because I needed health insurance. And, oh yeah, that's um, real. <laughs> yeah, and I just I think I was on birth control, and I just it was like the one you put in your arm, which is don't ever do that. Oh. Um, I needed to have that removed, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like find a job that's like a desk job in fashion. So I ended up doing ecom for Mara Hoffman for the next year and a few months until COVID nineteen hit. Um, so I was there for like a year and four months or something. Uh Um, but I actually resigned because I wanted, the timing was crazy. I resigned in February and gave them two months notice Mm -hmm. or January. Um, and I wanted to move into design and art, just like not be in fashion anymore, but still be in like the art world. And it happened to line up perfectly with when we started working from home. I ended up extending my um, notice because they needed someone and I also needed money in, in healthcare. Yeah. Um, and then they were like, we can no longer keep you or like pay you. And so they actually oh had gosh. to like go a lot of people like everyone else. And then I, I mean, I'm on unemployment still. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. I honestly, I, I'm so thankful for that it's gotten me through so much and it's made it to where like if something does happen to me I will be able to pay for it like out of pocket and yeah it's just been a huge stress relief to have some support for this time and then eventually when this thing is really off the ground which it's getting there I'm just like in denial about that so like all the funds are just in PayPal they just don't leave PayPal (laughs) Um, yeah there yeah but it's been an interesting journey and um, it's so nice to work for myself. And I think I don't want to work for anyone again after the years of working for other people. I kind of just feel like this is right. Mm-hmm. And this time it's kind of divine, like stars aligning for me to like make myself decide, choose myself and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to work for myself. <laughs> and that's really hard for me because I want consistency yeah you just never know yeah yeah I think it's it's a really the shift from having like employed employed by an employer type of work to like fully self-sustaining self everything like on so many levels particularly in America I think or like yeah it's (laughs) places where there is no universal health care (laughs) etc you know things like that like it's a real chat it's a really scary and challenging prospect to imagine that it has to all come from you like both healthcare and everything like I I really appreciate you bringing those things up because they're so real I like when I was moving back from Australia to America I got a an IUD input because I was like well Trump just got elected I don't know if Planned Parenthood is going to be defunded like and I'm not ready to have babies like yeah I just it's it's wild to me that like 25 year old or 26 year old me like had to be thinking in that way of like oh I'm pretty sure I don't want to feel like my family planning needs to be way later like so I definitely think that it's very brave and think that you're doing something really really fucking awesome and (laughs) I love like I had no idea like I mean yeah your work speaks for itself but it's so interesting hearing all the different pieces (laughs) of how it got to where because you're seeing the pieces, but, like, now you're hearing about them. Right, exactly. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, literally. <laughs> okay, so for people who haven't seen Sarah's work yet, um, I mean, feel free to jump in here. But basically, like, she's making these incredible patchworked, gathered, voluminous, beautiful dresses. And also these kind of 
pieced patchworked quilt tops had they been quilted yeah. yeah um they're all quilted but they are just basically tapestries like they're not really blankets gotcha gotcha yeah. so where okay that's this is the part that I like really want to get into is like yeah all of this stuff kind of coming together the fabric sources your Nigerian heritage the the inspiration like I remember seeing that that one of the first pictures that you posted on your Instagram of like just incredible these Nigerian women just wearing just what I thought were the most stunning dresses I've ever seen and I was like how have I never seen this picture before so I'd love to hear more about all of that yeah um I basically have always been living in a world of two cultures and I've always Mm. felt like my culture was I never saw it in the media or anywhere really at all um outside of my home so that was just normal to me. I didn't think that that was weird for any reason. But now, I mean, I think in the last like five or so years, I've noticed that it is weird. Like, it's weird that we don't talk about Black or African cultures outside of the context of maybe an African history or African studies, African American studies class. But we talk about like Japanese style and culture. We talk about like mm-hmm. European French. Like, we talk about so many other cultures. Um, but yeah, so it kind of felt skipped over. It felt like it was unimportant maybe to the mainstream media or mainstream education system. So I was thinking that, yeah, it's okay to like be upset about this and like maybe complain about it, but I could also just do something Mm. different in in my own work. If I have the opportunity to, maybe no one will care about it or see it, but um, I think I owe it to myself and all the girls that are like me looking for this and what they're looking at on their phones or like, distracted by the fact that they're not seeing themselves or just disheartened by it. Yeah. Um, I was thinking I needed a way to like not only educate myself on more things that I've never learned in school systems that just like would never have taught this and also other people that just really don't, not that they're not seeking it out, but really just don't have exposure to African traditional garments, um, like the women and the tribes that are really strong and beautiful there's so many stories that I think are just slept on and neglected. And we all know about Nelson Mandela, but like how many times do you need to hear about Nelson Mandela? Like Mm -hmm. there are other stories of Africans. And I think that that's like the main one that I heard growing up over and over and over. I'm not South African, but I still heavily identify with South Africans because I feel like apartheid and like what we've gone through here are so akin and like closely correlated as far as like, you know, just, you know, how terrible they both are. <laughs> so yes. I think I was just more like, this is a space that I want to create if I'm not already seeing it. And it's still very small. And I think it's still very, like, it's still brewing. I don't really know what it's going to turn into. And yeah. honestly, I didn't really know that it would become a fashion thing. I, I wasn't really planning on making garments because I felt mm. like that was a whole other concept. But I think the two things can live in the same realm like art and fashion and they probably should because they're investment pieces and you want to feel like you're you're receiving I mean I want to feel like I'm receiving art and um, feel special in what I'm wearing so these stories um, with the dresses they're about the women of Namibia they're the Herrero tribe and they were basically faced with genocide I want to say it's the 1800s but um, the Germans came and they basically tried to wipe out this whole entire race of people 
and the women would wear these like really beautiful regal gowns like the white German women mm. and it's so amazing to me that the Herrero tribe like the people that survived and like kept their traditions running adapted that style and created dresses of their own so like mm. they're very um voluminous like the ones I'm making because I'm inspired by those but yeah. they're very full they have a lot of color sometimes they're just like very ornate and that's not what I'm doing but I think it's insane like they have so much talent I can't even match them in the slightest but their dresses are just a kind of a sign of what they've come from and their resilience and I kind of I like to tie it this might be a little bit of a reach but I like to tie it to the n-word <laughs> the way that people have reclaimed like black Americans have reclaimed that word yeah. in a way that's more about like we have both felt that pain and like we can identify with that pain it's not really for anyone else but like because we share this we can like reclaim it it's like a similar concept in my mind so mm -hmm. I don't know if many people really know about the Herrera like I need to talk more about it because I think that it's way more important than the dress themselves but um yeah that's that's the whole story on that and there are so many more that I'm excited to like introduce as I kind of roll out new items but there's a couple things that i'm like prototyping that i'm excited to share but um the wall art it's all like things that i've designed and just mm. i'm inspired by like this certain era in nigeria that's like where my parents were when they met there in the 70s and mm. um like the legato sisters are a big influence of mine if you've heard any of their music or I, you know. I don't think so Oh, they're, they're amazing. Um, they're twins, they're Nigerians, and they were pretty popular in the 70s. And their music is just really positive, and it has a lot of, um, it's just a lot of positive messaging, but a, a lot of, like, hard to hear, like, sometimes sad messaging, which mm. I think is, like, they're really well paired together, the two themes. And, yeah, they're just um, really inspiring to me. One of them passed away, I want to say, last year. Mm. Um but the other is still alive. So it's just really cool to know that there's some long-running history in these songs that I'm hearing by them and also that I can fully relate to it now, even though it was written, like, back in the 70s. Right. I don't know. You should look them up. They're yeah. wonderful. I absolutely will. Um, so I'm trying to think if I... I think I answered that. <laughs> is there anything? Did I miss anything? No, totally. Yeah, yeah. Thank you also for clarifying the origin of the... Um, of the dress that you were talking about because oh, yeah, it's, yeah. And my assumption was nigerian but that was helpful i just think that you're yeah you're absolutely spot on with this reclamation and this kind of i think it's such a powerful thing for someone to take something that they see and and make it their own like to mm -hmm. for those women to take it and make it colorful and vibrant and all of these things that i think are so they're Africa, I think, you know, yeah. and this is me speaking from not having been there or anything, but I, from what I understand, like, there's really this spirit and like, yeah, I feel like that, I don't know, it sounds like that's really reflected in that garment, garment making and that style of approach to garment making. And it seems really special. Yeah. Oh, and I should also mention that La Reunion is an island off the coast of Madagascar. So that's oh, what I named it after. Cool. <laughs> so it, it does have a feeling of like being on a beach or being sunny or like having warm weather and like yeah. being optimistic about whatever could happen in a space that you've never seen before. Like Flower Reunion is, I don't know if you've ever like seen pictures of it, but it's, it's beautiful. It's like this mm. like very lush and green and like kind of tropical feeling place. And I think it's kind of, I don't know. I think it's kind of untouched in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of people that travel there and mm. it's like a 
French territory, so that's why it's a French name. But um, there's also a lot of French-speaking countries in Nigeria. Like my uncles speak French, and it's just like very common language in Africa. So did I say Nigeria? I meant Africa. (laughs) French-speaking countries in Africa. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's it's just an island that I was really inspired by, and so I was like, I want this whole project to have this feeling that I have when I look at this. Mm. island and experience like the peace and happiness and calm that I would have I've never been there but I imagine that I would really enjoy it so um I do have a goal of going there one day but yeah yeah, that's like the name where that comes from beautiful yeah that sounds lovely so then with the material of this so like you know sort of you were saying like maybe 40 percent came from Karen Callahan where is everything else coming from? Do you have, yeah. Oh my gosh. How are you yeah. sourcing? It sounds like you have a long history of like upcycling and textile sourcing. So I'm super curious. Yeah. Um, I used to just go to thrift stores. Oklahoma has great thrift stores. And mm. I would buy like bed sheets. Um, there were like reams of material, like fabric. So I would buy that. There was like um, bulk, I don't know. Actually, I wouldn't even say bulk um, dresses. There were like these big dresses that had... Um, massive panels that I would just use in my own upcycling. So it was kind of a combination in the beginning. When I moved to New York, it was mostly fab scrap. Do you know about Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing their work earlier this year and being like, I want to work for fab scrap. <laughs> it's so cool. That's yeah. actually the company that the last brand I worked for donated a lot of fabric to. Cool. Um, or if not all of it. But so they are in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and they have this massive warehouse, and they do mm. it by the pounds. So it's mm. super affordable, and that whole model is amazing. Um, so anyway, I would buy fabric there. I've had several friends send me remnants or, like, just pieces that they no longer need. Like, Franca's Studio is a brand that I really oh. love on Instagram, and oh. I bought, like, a two-piece set from her. I'm actually wearing the shorts right now. Oh, cute, um, yeah. Yeah, she's wonderful, and she sent me some scraps of fabric, which I have used a lot, actually. Um, so there's that, but then recently my friend FaceTimed me from a thrift store in Oklahoma that I love, and I got so much fabric from that. Like, it's it's really been carrying me through all of these dresses that I've been designing. So That makes me so happy. So your friend, like, yeah. went to a thrift store and, and FaceTimed you through this. That's, like, the yeah. sweetest. What a good friend. I know. And then she actually washed everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Blessed her heart. I'm that real. is so I'm, sweet. I know. I'm totally making her a free dress. But yeah, it's just been like things like that. And sometimes people will reach out via Instagram and say, I just have a bunch of scraps. Like, would you like me to send them to you? And that's oh, happened cool. like two or three times. So Great. yeah. Oh, one more way. Yeah. The cutting rooms in Midtown. Oh. So much waste. Like oh. insane amount of waste. So I've gone up to cutting rooms and come away with like miles of fabric. So um, I hope to keep doing that because I feel like it's pretty scary to imagine that they're just like tossing all of this fabric. So yeah, I try to make the most use out of whatever I can find in a cutting room if they'll let me take it. A lot of the time they want the room, the space back into their um, storage. So they're fine Mm -hmm. with me just taking as much as I need, but it's yeah it's like a lot of ways I'm it's like the universe brings me fabric that's <laughs> I awesome know. I mean I think I think like 
the dots are connecting and things are aligning yeah. in a way that makes a, like it sounds like you've had this like trajectory that's really been kind of leading you to this moment and it seems like pieces are coming together in a way that that like is in service of this higher goal that you have which is really totally. really cool like yeah, yeah I agree and I am so sorry I like have not asked you because I really want to know what you're <laughs> like about your project and where you get your material and everything like that and Aww. I feel like yeah this is like two podcast episodes if I ask you <laughs> um but like if you could like briefly explain kind of your place in this whole like little corner that we're in um and how you got started with it because I just I'm still kind of new to your yeah. platform, but I'm just curious. Oh, have any? yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, yeah, that's a really good question that I haven't had to think about like a succinct answer to, but um, I guess sort of the podcast kind of feels like the vessel for getting to like engage with people in a really deep basis, like a long form conversation in like, I feel like the Instagram is sort of like the snippets of it, the little bits here and there, the like surface yeah. level community. And then the podcast is like this long form getting to really hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. But the in terms of like, making I don't know, I guess, for me, it's been it's like, I have a lot of <laughs> I have a lot of anxiety. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna come out and say that I have a lot of anxiety. And I have a lot of like, I I find that a a lot of how I process things that are going on in the world and in my life, I kind of do through fiber. And Mm -hmm. so knitting has kind of been the one that's like accompanied me for the longest time. And I find that like, in particular, knitting socks is a really special way of kind of, I don't know, there's something about the size of them, the fact that they like, comfort people's feet they're 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 sort of a thing that I find it easy to trade with other artists because they're I mean you know they still take me like close to 10 hours to make but they're kind of the Mm -hmm. closest thing that you know knitting a sweater is like you know 40 80 hours like something that's just such a labor (laughs) um so I've loved the practice of like clothes finding their way into my wardrobe via the trade of a sock but in terms of wow. sourcing my materials, it's been a lot of trades, a lot of gifts, a lot of really random lucky thrift store finds because the, the thrift store find is a lot harder to come by for knit for knits and knitwear. I oh, like yeah. for a while was like, oh, I'll unravel sweaters. That'll be a great source of, of yarn. Oh. But that is, <laughs> it's so, they're so few and far between the like, you know, the gauge of a sweater in a store is usually so fine that it's not something you'd really want to knit with. The way the sweater has been constructed mm-hmm. has like all these um, implications for whether you can actually get like a full piece of yarn from it. So mm-hmm. I've kind of like, I don't know, it's been this iterative thing of like, trying all these different ways to be able to source yarn in a way that feels both sustainable and also like within a price range I can afford um and ultimately kind of landing on like using whatever I can find and what I have and then like altering whatever I can whatever I find and have and that's kind of come in the form I'm like pointing this direction because I'm I've got like a pot of avocado pits on the stove right now (laughs) so great I know, Mine didn't really work out. 
we're gonna have to like I'll have to FaceTime you because it's yeah. it's I think it's probably mainly that you just need so much more than you expect to like actually impart color on anything like it's this has been for me just like a year many year long process of trialing oh, yeah. things and like realizing oh right like six avocado pits is going to not impart any color you know I, I think I had 20 yeah. in the, the latest batch that oh, I have <laughs> so I've just been saving them for months okay that's what I need to do I have right now I have two that I'm, I know I'm gonna save I'm just restarting like as of yesterday so mm-hmm. I know I have two and I'm gonna just like, keep adding them probably until like spring (laughs) Um, because I I don't eat them like as often as I would be to to make enough right right you like need a cafe or something (laughs) oh I didn't even think about asking cafe I've actually wondered about how to how to create those kind of connections in a way that feels I don't know. I feel so I just always feel funny about like like I know you can a lot of people get their onion skins by just like going to the grocery store and like taking the onion skins that have like fallen into the container. Oh my god. That's Isn't so that smart. brilliant? But that's I get all so... shy about like, is this okay? Am I allowed yeah. to do this? Like it's stupid. They're onion skins, no one even wants like them. Cleaning up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But oh, I, that's so smart. There's got to be a bunch of like, I feel like cafe, food waste reduction, compost yeah. dying. Like there's a connection there for sure. I just haven't for figured sure. it out myself. <laughs> With my um, Halloween costume, I think I was a scarecrow. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, scarecrow. And I went to the farmer's market and um, the carrots, someone selling carrots, they chop off this massive amount of like foliage and they yeah. just have it in this bucket underneath that they toss out so they were like yeah you can have whatever you need it's free and I was like oh so you guys are fine with me taking this I thought about it like what else I could use that for probably nothing um but I just used it to like stuff my shirt to make me look more like a scarecrow yeah um, but I think that that kind of thing should be more like yeah just take it take the waste because like right. if you're not composting it what are you going to do with it right <laughs> right um, like a lot of people do compost I think a lot of restaurants are starting to so if they mm. have a compost going and it's probably disgusting to like go through it and take out seeds but maybe it's worth it maybe just, they'd like, have a bucket to hold to the side for you or something just for seeds yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd, it'd be worth it to pay them a bit for that yeah I got to get back to posting things. I've been sort of like in my own little creative world of just like, you know, when you're, I feel like sometimes there are just times where like, I'm just heads down, like making stuff. And (laughs) this weekend I had like six different projects going. My partner was like, what are you working on? I was like, well, I have a hat over there and I have some socks over there and I'm dying something on the stove. And I have (laughs) just that kind of like, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's a little scattered. (laughs) Does that happen for you? I think it's good. Yeah. And I think it's good to have like multiple um I guess experiences that you're like diving into because I get kind of burnt out when one thing takes like 12 hours I kind of need to like right take a break but I'd also want to be productive while I'm taking a break so like move to something else I don't know I feel like there's no time for me to not be making something so yeah I love the idea of having like running projects and it's kind of what I'm doing right now too so okay so I would love to know kind of to wrap us up here um what what we should be expecting from you for the next and like what you're excited about for the next kind of few months or year or something Ooh, I know that's, that's scary <laughs> well it's just like I had no idea I'd be here in the month like two-ish months that it's been but right. I've really like got, like 
dove in and started posting regularly. And obviously, political climate is a big part of it. Like, yeah. I think people wanted to see more black and brown faces on their feeds that they're looking at every morning when they wake up in the morning. Like, why don't I see more color here? And yeah. asking themselves the hard questions about their own preferences. Right. Um, which, yeah, I think I have a fear that that's just a trend and that people are going to decide that it's not interesting anymore. Mm. Um, but I am going to just, like, put my keep my head down and keep making things. So yeah. I want to say in the next few months I'll be working on all of these custom dresses that I have but also a couple of stores that I'm really excited about Good. have reached out to me so you'll probably see me posting that I'm working with more people and um, hopefully posting a editorial photo shoot that I'm, I've been trying to like dream up in my mind yes <laughs> yeah which I, I used to do a lot of those with my other store and I haven't done any this i've only done literally the shittiest iphone photos like they're they're really bad they still um, come across <laughs> beautifully though so an editorial of this is going to be like next level i can't even oh yeah. my gosh i hope so <laughs> i am so embarrassed of it honestly so you'll see that and you'll probably see a couple of new things mm. like consistent things that i can offer and my fingers are crossed about an e-com situation but i really don't know if I'm going to have the bandwidth to do that. So, yeah. yeah. So far, it's just been Instagram messaging, and I've been very shocked that, like, so many people have asked and ordered and done all of it through Instagram. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, right? Like, the amount of traction that you can get via Instagram. And it also Mm -hmm. scares me. Like, I'm excited for a time when we can start to move. I was thinking recently about kind of longer form blog posts and like, how do we move our audiences off of a platform that is solely for profit and solely to like sell us stuff when we actually want to engage with people in more of a like community human to human, you know, I mean, of course you like still need to make money, but also just kind of like, there are so many other things that like you're speaking to and speaking for. And I like, you know, I wonder about being able to kind of hold space for those off Instagram, but it is like you're saying, like such an amazing tool for just like quickly connecting to people and being able to widen your reach very quickly. Yeah, that's so true. And I I totally support the idea of like a non-capitalist platform for that. Like it's hard to create a community outside of something that's feeding us ads all the time. And I wish that wasn't the case, but yeah, I would love to do something like that. And I think the podcast is something like that. Like, you're not saying, hey, you can buy five weeks of Hello Fresh. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no, no it's, that. that's okay. That's... But you're not doing that. And I think that that's cool. No, not if, like, it's not bad if you do, but I'm just saying, like, the idea of just unplugging from that platform and listening to something that would maybe reroute your way of thinking and make you feel a little bit more like, connected to a group of people that have ideas that are either in the direction you want to move in or maybe you're already there and and Mm -hmm. I'm still learning too so like yeah having a way of learning that feels non-judgmental and detached from the force of capitalism (laughs) totally yeah 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 no totally yeah and thanks for thanks for including the podcast and that it feels that feels special and it's definitely a goal that I have to kind of have it be a space that's like a comfortable friend on your journey, wherever you are, like to see some part of you reflected back at you type of thing. Anyway, you know. That's really good. So if people want to find you and find your work, where should they go? Yeah, um, I have a website. 
and it's www. <laughs> uh, it's lawreunionstudio.com. Great. And on Instagram, it's a dot. It's a law reunion. So a dot law dot reunion. Perfect. And dresses are they? Oh. Are you are you stopped taking new orders or are you? No, I'm still taking orders. Great. Yeah. So they can if they want a dress, they can email me at hello at law reunion studio.com and maybe i'm low-key asking for myself too just say <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course um and so yeah they're like a probably 2.5 week turnaround time awesome. and they are custom made like for your bust and height and color preferences like i, I take everything into account um and yeah they're really great I, i'm really into them i don't even own one because i've like really not been able to keep any because people are just like very in love with them and I'm, I'm so thankful for that because it does feel like more of Africa being celebrated in a way too so yeah it's they're beautiful I mean you know I just feel like the first picture I ever saw when I was like what I've never <laughs> seen anything like this this is amazing oh. these are so unique like I just feel like in a world of the same silhouettes over and over and the same you know I am the I am the fucking poster child of like a neutral palette wardrobe but like just seeing something so different and so spectacularly beautiful which Thank you. very refreshing. So yeah, I mean, you oh, know that I'm awesome. like your number one fan. But. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It means a lot. It really does. And um, yeah, they're very, yeah, they are very um, strikingly colorful. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, I'm like, this is so, this is probably too much for people, but then people respond really well to it. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, But the so neutrals, cool. like the neutral dress is also a very popular option that people love to ask for because it is a little bit more like wearable I think so yeah yeah I don't know I love color but I know it's not everyone's opinion so (laughs) yeah no I get it I think I think I just like get shy about I think I I worry Mm -hmm. about not knowing how to mix color and stuff so I often just aim for like solids or just because I'm I'm shy I'm like afraid of it Mm -hmm. that's all it is there's nothing like I don't know there's nothing correct about that. It's just like how I've approached no, clothes. It's, it's not wrong. I think that it's safer to like, if you're not comfortable, it's just honestly, that's what it is. It's wear what you're comfortable wearing and right. you're doing it right. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for being here. Thank you here. for having me. This is so nice. And I needed this break. Honestly, I've just been like working. Well, I really so. appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash close knit.